0: Um, and we're jumping back in to uh, Matthew. So we've been in this study since the beginning of the year, and we're asking the question. This is the whole idea for this series. We're asking the question, wouldn't it be cool if we could get a firsthand view of Jesus when he walked on this planet and when he did his ministry and when he healed people and when he set people free and when he, when he showed up, when he taught people? Wouldn't it be cool? And the answer is, yes, it would. And that's exactly what Matthew is giving us. And, and what we've been able to see up to this point, is we've been able to see Jesus. Uh, he's, he got baptized and, and the Father validated his ministry. He overcame temptation. We've seen him call his disciples. We've seen him change people's lives. And he's teaching us this is what the thing about Matthew. He's teaching us what the kingdom of God looks like. He's teaching them what life is like in the kingdom. And I'm not talking about the animal kingdom, I'm not talking about chief's kingdom although we're getting ready to run it back come on somebody (laughs) i'm talking about the only kingdom that really matters for all of eternity the kingdom of god and all of this all of this is coming by way of a very imperfect guy named matthew a guy who had chased after this world he had betrayed his people and he found grace and he found forgiveness in a man named jesus and so we've been walking through that if you've missed any of it i want to encourage you to go online you can go to our app you can go to our website and you can catch up with all of the different messages, but I promise they'll encourage you. And right now, we are, we're going to be talking about the next part, uh, portion of our, our study found in Matthew chapter 9. So if you want to turn there, you can. And we're going to be talking about how God is doing a new thing, all right? That's the title for today's message, God is doing a new thing. And now, I'll be honest with you, I can't even say that without thinking about a classic 90s Christian song by the by possibly the greatest Christian band of all time, come on somebody, DC Talk. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? There's four people who know what I'm talking about? This is really tragic, y'all. Like, you know, anyways, one of their first albums, one of their first albums is called New Thang. Not New Thing, New Thang. Classic 90s, man, like, like, it can't get any more 90s if you go look this stuff up. Like, it's amazing. I mean, it's like, it's so good. It, I mean, it sounds, it sounds like Will Smith, you know, before he slapped people, like, way back, way back in the day. Like, Will Smith, the rapper, not the slapper. Um, like, some of you don't even know about that, though. Some of you don't even know Will Smith before he slapped people. You don't even know it. But he used to rap. Parents just don't understand. Anybody? Okay, I know just is a segment of us, sages, wise sages in the room who, who remember music when it was real music. Come on, somebody. Anyways, DC Talk had the song, God is doing a new thing. I mean, it was classic 90s. I mean, it was just awesome. I mean, in fact, I wish, I wish we could have it. Like, I, I know you guys, there's no way you could probably pull this up right now, but I wish we could have it because, like, it would take you right back. You know, he's This will make you want to do the Roger Rabbit. Uh, (laughs) I mean, can't, I mean, isn't that just 90s? Doesn't that take you back? Like, (laughs) does that take you back? (laughs) True story, I was not planning to dance but it just came over me, all right? <laughs> awesome. I mean, the 90s are back, right? Baggy clothes. Baggy clothes are back in style. I'm not there yet. I'll probably be there right as they're going out of style. Come on, somebody, you know what I'm saying? Um, anyways, so God, God, is doing, God is doing a new thing. That's the idea today. And the context for this is where we left off in June in our study of Matthew, all right? So remember, Jesus had just called Matthew. So Jesus just called Matthew the tax collector, the sinner. I mean, you have this guy who has sold out his people, betrayed his people, and Jesus says, I want you to follow me. And not only does he do that, but he, he, gets, he gets Matthew together with all of the other tax collectors, all of the other sinners All of the other bad people you got to think about this for a moment you have this religious leader getting all of the bad people together and everybody who has any religious standing is like what in the world because you simply didn't do that in that day you just didn't do it you didn't interact with sinners in fact you try to stay as far away as possible from them because your whole job was to keep yourself pure was that was the whole idea and there was a really good reason for that because of the law which is really a bunch of little laws that 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 if you didn't follow could mean like ostracization from your community or even death and so jesus is doing this thing very differently and so the pharisees don't like it but then we find out in this passage today in matthew chapter 9 John's disciples, John the Baptist's disciples, don't like it. They're confused. Jesus is cousins with John the Baptist, and, he, and John has his own disciples. He's out there in the wilderness. He's out there kind of like all Trader Joe style, you know, with like a leather, like wearing leather and eating locusts and, can, you know, and, and honey. And that's all he's doing. And so he's out there doing this very different, they're fasting. It's very monastic And they look at Jesus, and they're like, Jesus, you're not doing any of this. You're hanging out with sinners, and you're partying with them. And so they come to Jesus, and they're like, what in the world is going on? And that's where we pick up in Matthew chapter 9. And what Jesus says is, I am doing a new thing. Matthew chapter 9, verse 9 through 14. And if you're ready to jump in, say, I am. All right. We're going to read through this passage. I'm just, going to take, I'm just going to take our time with this, if that's cool. And I want to put, because there's a lot of, like, interesting analogies. There's a lot of interesting analogies that Jesus teases out. And if you're just reading your Bible, a lot of times you're like, okay, I don't understand this, but I don't have time to, like, actually do any study on this because, like, I just, I got to go. I actually want us to kind of explain this. Because when you look at this, it's initially like, ah, okay, I kind of get that, but I don't really understand it. But when you zoom out and you see the context of what Jesus is talking about and where this takes place, it's absolutely mind-blowing. It's mind-blowing. Verse 14 says this. Then John's disciples came and asked, how is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? So, I mean, again, right, right out of this Matthew interaction, they're seeing Jesus hang out with Matthew and all the sinners. They're like, doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And then they're like, okay, so, so but we want to ask you, Jesus. We know the Pharisees, they're kind of like, they're a little intense, but we're on the same team, right? We're following John, your cousins with John. Like, how is it that we fast, the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And so, now here's the deal in that day. It was required one time a year for everybody to fast. That was called Yom Kippur. It was was the, the Day of Atonement. Everybody would fast. It was this great reconciliation that took place with God and with people. So they fasted during Yom Kippur. That was mandatory for everybody. And then there were 25 other holidays and events where people could fast if they wanted to. And the Pharisees are fasting twice a week. John's disciples are fasting as well And they're like, Jesus, what's up? Why aren't you fasting? And Jesus responds with a series of analogies. Verse 15, he says this, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and then they will fast. Okay, quickly, let me just summarize what he's saying here. He's saying, I'm with them right now. They don't need to fast the separation That we have or mourn the separation because i'm with them i'm close to them so they don't need to fast to get close because i am close to them right now And we could take a moment and talk about the importance of fasting and how we should fast today but that's not really the point of what's happening here and what jesus does is he takes that question and he uses it to talk about what he really wants to talk about like a savvy politician have you ever seen politicians do this like, on the news programs, they're like, hey, we like to know your position on the economy. Like, oh, that's so great. I'm so glad you asked about the economy. What I really want to talk about is trade. And then they'll just go ahead and talk about trade. Have you seen this? That You know, it's not quite as obvious, but that's what Jesus does right here. And it almost seems random, but he's doing, he's making this giant point. Verse 16 says this, no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment Making the tear worse. All right, so he's talking about, he's not, he's talking about clothes here. Now, I'm not, I'm not a maker of clothes. I don't know how to sew, but I do know something about shrinking clothes. Come on, somebody. And the reason I know a lot about it is because I have bought lots of clothes from H&M. <laughs> you know it's true. There's been moments where I've been like, I can't wash it. I can't wash it yet. Spray some freeze on that thing. Because once I wash it, it's going straight to the kids. It's going straight to the kids. I don't care if you wash it in cold and hang dry. It is shrinking up. It's gone. All right. So, so I know a little bit about, about this. But in that day, uh, what they would do is they would have a fuller who would clean and comb the cloth to remove natural oil and gum. All right. So maybe it's, this is a little picture here. This is, this, is a, this is what it would look like. They would put the cloth in the basin, and then they would get in, and they would kind of step on it a little bit. And then they would stretch it out, and they would comb through it, and they would clean the cloth out. And that would there would be the shrinking process. It would also help kind of make it a little bit water-resistant, water-repellent. So it's it this, it this whole process of shrinking, pre-shrinking the fabric uh, to remove all of the impurities. What Jesus is saying is if you had a coat that had been folded, but then you try, you got a hole in it, and you used a patch that had not been folded, and you sewed that on there. When it did eventually shrink because rain got on or you washed it, it would rip the fabric. So what he's saying is this. When you try to do something new on an old thing, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. It rips. And he's kind of talking about the condition of our life. When you try, when you try to follow God the old way, if you, if it's going to rip your life up, and this is really interesting how we, the analogies continue here. He says, neither do people pour wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst, and the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. Now, this analogy is a little bit more difficult because we don't use wineskins anymore, Uh, but basically what they would do, this is the uh, picture of a wineskin. They would, so they would take the skin of an animal and they would they would tie it up and be, and they would pour new wine into the skin and as it ferments it would expand all right so the, the 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 wine is expanding and it becomes a little brittle but it expands the skin because it's stretchy it's able to absorb the fermentation process it expands but if you then use all of that wine and then try to pour new wine into that as it begins to span it's already expanded it will break it will become brittle and you'll spill your wine all over the place, and it's not a good experience. What he's saying here is this you can't add new to what is old. You can't add new to what is old. And what Jesus is saying is this. So just let me break all of this down God has a new, vibrant, and fresh plan for your life, it's amazing. It's life in the spirit. It's life where God works and where God leads and God transforms and God expands his love in our hearts, making us more and more like him. It is amazing, but it is new. It's new. In that day, it would have been new because what Jesus is bringing online is relational and not religious. It's not about religious systems. It's not about living monastic rules. It's not about fasting just to try to get close to God. It's not all about that. That's certainly fasting is okay today, but what Jesus is saying, you can't add the new thing that he is bringing to your old religious systems. He won't fit and it won't work and you'll be ripped up and spilled out. As you feel like your life is just all over the place. That's that's what he's saying. He's saying it to the Pharisees, and now he's saying it to his own cousin's disciples. He's like, y'all, listen, you guys are made, you, we have made this. You have made this all about straining and trying and, and just, uh, oh, it's hard. It's, it's all about you. He's saying you've made it all about you. You've made your, you've made your religious piety. You've made your closeness with God all about you and the law of course was there and we're going to unpack that here in a moment but you've missed it because you're missing the vibrancy you're missing the closeness with god because you've made this all about rules and jesus is saying i have come to do a new thing he says i am pouring new wine i am giving you life in the spirit by grace through faith And so what's interesting, as Jesus often does, is you'll see him, as he's talking about this, someone approaches him. It's almost like he knew this was going to happen, because I think that he did. I think he's setting all of this up, and someone approaches him, and it gives him an opportunity to apply this very lesson. Look at this uh, in verse 18. While he was saying this, a synagogue leader came and knelt before him and said, my daughter has just died. But come and put your hand on her, and she will live. Now, we know from other accounts that this guy's name is Jairus, but we need to think about how significant this would be, because he's a synagogue leader. So he's a religious leader, and Jesus has come right up against all of the religious leaders, right? And so these guys, they're very good at their profession, They're very good at going through the motions. They're very good at reading the Torah. They're very good at sending people to the temple because that's where you worship God. So these guys are very good. But he has come to the end of his religion. He's realized that his religion and his works will not work in this situation because his daughter has died. But he has enough faith to believe that Jesus can do something about it. He knows that religion can't save his daughter but he believes that jesus can verse 19 so jesus got up and went with him and so did his disciples well on their way this woman just verse 20 just then a woman who'd been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak and she said to herself if i can only touch his cloak i will be healed another tragic situation One guy has his daughter die. This woman has been suffering with bleeding that is constant and uncontrollable for 12 years. Inconvenient for sure, painful, but it meant so much more in that day because because she was considered unclean continually. So she couldn't go to worship. She couldn't go have interaction with people because if she got close to someone and touched someone, she would make them unclean. She was unclean. She would make them unclean, meaning they couldn't go worship for a period of time, and they would have to be outside of the camp. This woman's life was devastated, and she has also come to the end of her religion because she knows that the ceremonial washings and a sacrifice are not going to take this away, but she believes that Jesus can. So she reaches out. Verse 22, Jesus turned and saw her, and he says, take heart, daughter, your faith has healed you. What has healed her? Her faith. I mean Jesus is saying your faith is healed. Now Jesus is the one who is doing the healing, but she is accessing the healing by her faith, not her works not going through all the religious systems, not, not checking all of the boxes, dotting all the I's and crossing all of the T's. It wasn't her effort. It wasn't because she pushed really hard through the crowd and, and Jesus was like, good job. No, it was her faith. Verse 22, and the woman was healed at that moment. Amazing, astonishing. But Jesus isn't done Verse 23, when Jesus entered the synagogue's leader's house and saw the noisy crowd and people playing pipes, they've already begun the funeral procession. He said, go away. The girl is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. Verse 25, one of my favorite verses. After the crowd had been put outside. Interesting They're laughing, they don't have faith, and Jesus puts them outside. Let me just say this, sometimes in order for God to do all that he wants to do in our life, you've gotta put the doubters and the haters in your life, out of your life. You have to do it, because, because people are going, it's just the way that it works. Doubt, fear, uncertainty, it spreads. And if there's people speaking doubt, speaking hate, speaking unbelief to you and you're believing for a miracle you got to put them out now this is true for unbelievers let me just say this let me pause for a moment church don't be surprised when unbelievers aren't believing with you for the miracle you're believing for they're unbelievers they don't have the same basis for faith so don't let that get you off of what God has put in your heart and for believing God for and then also, don't be surprised when there are some believers who aren't believing because there are some believers who believe not very much. I mean, it's kind of crazy. Like, like, there's a whole segment of Christianity that doesn't believe that God does miracles today. It's like that He stopped. When the last apostle died, God was like, Well, I've run out. I'm just done. Can't do anymore. I don't want to do anymore. And so there are unbelievers who won't believe for you, and there are believers who won't believe for you. And when you're believing for a miracle, sometimes you've got to put them out because they are working against your faith. And so you've got to protect that. You've got to steward that. Verse 25 says this, after the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took the girl by the hand, and she got up. It's crazy. crazy little girl Jesus walks in puts the crowd outside and I mean the synagogue leaders like I can't I mean I believed it but I can't believe it this is crazy this is unbelievable the girl who had died is now alive the woman with the issue of blood is whole again why how because God is doing something new and in order to experience it we have to approach him in a new way this is the giant point that Jesus is making through with this entire narrative. Do you see how this all connects? Like I literally wanted to save these stories for next week, but as I was in it, I was like, no, 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 no. This is all connected. Jesus is using this as like an illustration, as a lab to show how this works. And so I've just got a couple of thoughts that I wanna leave with you. And I promise if you'll apply these to your life, will change the way you view God and how you walk with him. Number one, God does new things. That's something that we're seeing from this. God does new things. Second, God is doing something new. And then number three, in order to experience God, we need to approach him in a new way. I just want to take a few moments to talk about these things, kind of tease this out, apply it to our life, and then we're going to spend some time praying. Just asking God to do a new work in our hearts. But before we do, I want you to find three people and tell them, hey, God is doing a new thing. Come on, tell three people God is doing it. God is doing a new thing. You're gonna be singing that all day. You're welcome. First, first thought is this. God does new things. Let me just give you a couple verses on this. Isaiah 43:19. He says, even in the Old Testament, He's doing new things. He says, "See, I am doing a new thing." Second Corinthians five: Therefore, if anyone is Christ, he is a new creation. Revelation twenty-one: Behold, I am making all things. Come on, verse. Say it with me. He's he's making all things new. Now, here's the thing: We know it in the Bible. The Bible teaches us that God does not change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So you can count on him. He is consistent. He is faithful, and he will be faithful. But God does new things. I mean, the earth is constantly moving and spinning and changing. The universe is expanding. God is in motion. I want to encourage you with this, y'all. Like, God's not just chilling, waiting for all of us to die and join him in heaven. He's not just waiting. He's moving now. He's moving now. He moves. In fact, a verse that we shared on first Wednesday, which first Wednesday was fire. Make sure you're here for next one because it was incredible. But 2 Chronicles 16, 9 says this, for the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth. It's like God's just ranging throughout the earth. He's looking everywhere to strengthen those hearts who are fully committed to him. God's looking for you. God wants to bless you. God wants to do something new in your life. I want you to know if you, need, if you need something new, then you've come to the right place today. Because God does new things. If your marriage needs some newness, God can do it. If your job needs some newness, God can do it. God can, God can revolutionize your heart. God can revolutionize your family. God does new things. And he wants to do new things in our life. The second thing is this. God is doing something new. In Jesus, when Jesus shows up, he begins to do different things. But here's the thing I want us to all understand. Even as God is doing a new thing, it's the thing that he had always wanted to do. It's a culmination of what he had started in the Garden of Eden, where he had created mankind. He wanted to walk with us. He wanted to have interaction with us. He wanted us to be his people and for him to be our God it's what he's always wanted but Jesus is bringing that original intent that sin had corrupted back online so Jesus is doing a new thing and as we looked in the sermon on the mount he is fulfilling the law So this is why all of this happens. This is where the Pharisees, John's disciples, and Jesus all come together. We talked about this in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. In the Old Testament, there were 613 laws. Everybody say, wow. That's a lot of laws, right? I mean, trying to keep track of all of the different rules. One of them was this. Do not boil a goat in its mother's milk. So thank you for that please don't, please don't, please don't, from that law, and we just, Jen and I just experienced this in Israel, from that law, they made a, they made this whole thing where you can't have meat and dairy in the same setting, I don't even think that's what it's talking about, but from that one law, they made this whole thing, do not have meat and dairy in its setting, so now they have like butter, knives you can use for butter, and knives you can use for meat, and those knives can't ever meet together. They can't cross. So this literally happened while we were in Israel. They still follow these kosher laws today. We got, we were at breakfast, and uh, my parents were on this trip, and there was a section that, like, was set up for breakfast the next day. We were at dinner, but my dad didn't have a knife, and he went over to get one of the knives that looked like just all of the other knives, but apparently it's a breakfast knife, not a dinner knife. And so he went and grabbed it, and he brought it over, and the manager went crazy on him. Like, he, I mean, he's like, what are you doing? This is for breakfast. know, my dad's like, I didn't know. You know, it's like, I like all knives. And, and he's like, no, this is a breakfast knife, not a dinner knife. They made this big deal out of using it because of this one law. They obsess over it still today. But Jesus said, no, I, I'm not, I've, I've not come to abolish. I've come to fulfill the law. I, I am doing a new thing. You don't have to obsess over those things anymore. Those things are man-made anyways. All of those extra rules. They're extra rules. God did That wasn't God's intent, but you made extra rules. Jesus like, I've come to fulfill the law. I am doing a new thing. So enjoy your breakfast sandwich with bacon. Come on, somebody live in freedom this is what paul the apostle hammers home in the book of galatians and i wish we had time to cover all of this but i just want to drop this with you go on and do your own study this week but galatians chapter 3 he says this verse 10 for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse as it is written curses everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law he's like it's impossible to follow these things perfectly and they can't make us right with God anyways. So watch this, verse 23, 4. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up. And that's what the law does. It locks you up, and it keeps you from missing out. That, that's what Jesus is talking about. He's like, y'all, I, I've come to set you free. You are so obsessed over these rules. You're so obsessed over these laws. You're so obsessed over your self. Because you look to yourself to justify yourself before God. But do you see what Jairus does? Do you see what the woman with the issue of blood does? Their faith is not in themselves. It's in Jesus. And Jesus is doing a new thing where you don't have to perform To experience God's goodness, you just have to believe. And I'm telling you, this changes everything. Because it's not about you anymore, it's about him. It's not about your badness, it's about his goodness. And it changes the way you look at God and it changes the way you approach God and it changes the way you pray to God. This is everything. And you know what it results in? Freedom. That's what he says in Galatians chapter 5. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Paul is talking to a group of people. They're called Judaizers. They were believers, but they were adding all of these rules to their belief in Jesus. And Paul is like, no, no. No, that's not what Jesus came to bring. And what you're going to do, watch what he says. If you can put that verse back on the screen. Um, it is for freedom that Christ has said is free. So stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. He's like, if you go back to the Old Testament way of doing something, it's not going to bring you life. It's actually going to rob you of life. If you try to get to God by all of your works and all of your good things and I did this for that person and I did this for that person and, and I gave him the offering and, and man, I feel justified by my works, you will be empty. It's like your life will be ripped up or it's like your life will be poured out. You'll be missing the point. And he says, but stand firm because it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. So here's the third point and it's this. In order to experience God, We we need to approach him in a new way. Now, what I'm saying is it doesn't have to be different every time. That's not what I'm like. You got to, like, try this new thing every time you approach God. I'm just talking about as opposed to works, as opposed to legalism, as opposed to going through motions, you want to approach God differently. You need to approach him through faith, not works not based on what you do. It's grace. It's undeserved. It's faith in his goodness. For it is by, Ephesians 2 says this, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Do you see there's two Jesus is doing with this whole situation John's disciples come and they ask him a question hey why don't you guys fast like we do we're doing all this stuff and it's hard and we want you to go through it too that's what they're doing like what's the deal this shouldn't be fun you guys are having way too much fun this should be difficult and Jesus is like no no No, I've come to bring a celebration. I've come come to bring newness of life. I've come to take that burden off of you. I've come to make a way so that you can worship in freedom and joy. And that's how God always wanted it. So the new thing that God is doing is the thing he's always wanted to do. It's just we got in the way. Our sin got in the way. And Now Jesus has come. Once and for all, he's atoned for that to make a way for us to enter into his courts clean, burden-free, trusting him, walking in the abundant life that he has for us. Amen?